And so uh, we continue uh, tilling that soil, planting seed, you know, in hopes that we'll be able to make a difference in somebody's life for Jesus. And uh, I think probably 60 plus percentage of the people that were here last night were uh, unchurched for us. And we uh, thank the Lord for the opportunity that we have to serve our community. Also, uh, just information-wise, for those of you that weren't at the annual uh, celebration, we have uh, Cecil Stevens has been re-elected to the board, and uh, we praise the Lord for Cecil. He's a very good man. And then also, uh, not only uh, Cecil, but uh, Brandon Newbill is a new board member. So we we welcome Brandon to the to the board as well. So you, when you see Brandon, give him a good noogie and let him know that uh, it's time to get down to work. <clears throat> One last announcement. This coming Thursday, uh, Johnny and Melody Montgomery will be here. We are hiring uh, Melody Montgomery to put all of our children's ministries under one one uh, umbrella. That means she will be our new daycare, uh, preschool, child care director, as well as our children's ministries director here at the church. Uh, they left early this morning from Texas and are coming this direction. They'll be here Thursday. Marvelous, marvelous couple. And her husband, Johnny, will be uh, fulfilling our youth director part-time position. And uh, so we look forward to the two of them. Next Sunday, we'll introduce them to you. They'll be here in the service, and I know that uh, you're going to be very blessed by them. Great, great couple, uh, Johnny and Melody Montgomery. James chapter 5, verse 19 through 20 thinking of is we we get ready to read that James Terry uh, fell this morning as Isaac mentioned he pulled his truck out back here and got out of his truck and he fell down he's got a really bad shoulder he fell right on that and so he's gone to uh, I think a minor emergency or something to be checked out so we definitely want to be praying for James James chapter 5 verse 19 and 20 Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now when, you, when we, we read that, it, it leads us into it, and we're going to read that verse again a little bit later on, but here's, here's an important uh, issue for us. In Matthew 22... Jesus is uh, talking with some, some religious leaders. I mention the religious leaders frequently because the people that Jesus always had trouble with were really not so much the unchurched. It was these religious leaders, these Pharisees. And the Pharisees uh, were always doing or saying something that was really not quite grasping what God's heart was. And so one of them comes to Jesus and he asks the question. The question was this. He said, Jesus, if what is the most important commandment that God gives? In all the commandments that God gave to us, which one is the most important above all other commandments? One that if, if, we're, if, we're, if we want to be sure we don't foul up on something, which one 
is it that we just definitely don't want to mess up on? And so in Matthew 22, when, when that question is posed to Jesus, verse 40, Jesus said, okay, here's the answer. There's actually two. Here it is. He said the first one is this, the most important, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he says the second one is like that, and it is this, love others as yourself. And then he says, he pulls all it together and says, now if you do those two things, all of the, all of the commandments, every, everything that was in the law, all of the law and everything that the prophets inspired of the Holy Spirit said, all of it will be fulfilled if you simply just do those two things. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Yeah, see, you guys catch on pretty quick. It's simple, isn't it? It's pretty, it's, Christianity is simple. It's, it's not that complex. Love God and love people. Now, what you may have already discovered, you, you don't have to live overly long to discover this, is that loving God is one thing, you know, but loving people, that one we need to talk about a little bit. That one there we need, to, we need to work on a little bit because loving people isn't always easy. There are people in this world that tend to be somewhat challenging when we're trying to love them. And, uh, and either intentionally or unintentionally, they sometimes just make it complicated. They make it harder than it needs to be. And so we've been talking in this series. This is the final message in a, in a series we're calling Dealing with Challenging People because... If we're going to do the very simple things that Jesus said, love God and love people, and we know that some people just, it's hard to love them, then, then what does the Bible tell us that will help us know how we can better deal with challenging people? So the first one we talked about was people that are critical. People that are just criticized, criticized, criticized. Dealing with critical people. Then dealing with overly needy people. Now, we're not talking about it, people just in need or even desperately in need because the Bible says that there'll always be people that are in need. But we're talking about those who are beyond desperately needy. They are dysfunctionally needy. They are the people that it doesn't matter how much help you give them. It, it'll never be enough, never be enough, and they just can never seem to get traction in the area of their need largely due to the fact that they continue to make decisions that continue to consume all the help to a degree that now they're needy again and they remain needy no matter how much help you give them. If we, if we think of it in terms of finances, you could put them in, in a multi-million dollar mansion and they still would be needy because they just dysfunctionally so. How do you deal with people that way? Uh, last week we talked about manipulators. Manipulators are those people who, who manage to sway events into their favor. They, they find a way, doesn't matter its effect on anyone else, doesn't matter effect on how much harm they might cause to someone, as long as it sways in their direction, manipulation, to make sure that they're getting things the way they want to get things. So we talked about that last week. Today, we're talking about people who are hypocritical. Does, now, without pointing at anybody, 
just lifting your hands. How many here would lift your hand and say, you know someone that probably at times behaves hypocritically? Anybody know something like that? Yeah. How many of you would be absolutely honest uh, here this morning and uh, also admit that there, there are probably some times in your own life that you have behaved hypocritically? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all at times can be vulnerable to live in a hypocritical life. I once was talking to a friend of mine. He lives in another state. And he, uh, I said to him, I said, you're going to church? And he said, no, no, I'm not going to church anymore. And he comes from a, a, a deep heritage of, of being a part of church and church life. He said, no, I'm not going to church. I said, well, why aren't you going to church? He said, because the church is filled with hypocrites. Now, has anybody ever heard that before? Yeah, yeah, see, we've, we've all heard that before. The church is filled with hypocrites. Now, I was tempted to say to him, well, you know what, that's really okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's room for one more, you know. <laughs> uh, being a nice guy, I didn't say that. You know, and loving my friend, I just, I didn't say that, but I, I uh, talked with him. The good news is, is that he is now going to church. He's been going to church. He loves the Lord dearly. His whole family goes to church. They're very involved in the, in the church and love the Lord. But there was this little season of time that he said I, that he wasn't going to church because he said all the hypocrites in the church. Now, in Matthew 15, in the 15th chapter of Matthew, Jesus encounters these religious leaders again. Now again, the reason I talk about religious, these religious leaders so often is because they, they tended to miss what Jesus really was saying. It's very simple. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Relationships, relationships, relationships. Love God, love people. It's so simple. But we always have a tendency to pile on all kinds of other things that complicates a very simple thing. Love God, love people. It's very simple. So the religious leaders in Matthew 15, they come to Jesus and they're doing a lot of whining to him. They said to him, they said, listen, Jesus, what is up with your disciples? They're always breaking the rules. You know, we, we've been living these things. This is the way we've always done it. These are the traditions that have been passed down from, from one group to the next, to the next, to the next. And your disciples keep breaking these things. They keep going. What is up with that? And Jesus speaks to them. And here's what he says. Uh, <clears throat> Matthew 15, verse 7 through 9. Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus tags these people with an identity. What was the identity that he tagged them with? Hypocrites. Everybody say it together on account of three. One, two, three. Yeah, hypocrites. He tags all these guys with, with hypocrites. He's, as hypocrites, he's, he says this, you, that what they do is they, they, uh, they, they give him a lot of lip service, but they don't give him any life service. They, they're, they're claiming something, but they're not living. The, word, the, the people in that day, they completely understood what Jesus was talking about. 
The reason they understood because in the day that Jesus was walking around the land of Israel, the people spoke mainly two languages, Greek and Aramaic. And uh, they, they tried, and they were, there were pockets of people that were still speaking Hebrew and trying to speak Hebrew. Now, of course, it's been resurrected so that the Jews speak Hebrew uh, in Israel and in other parts of the world. But, but in the days of Jesus, because of Alexander the, the Great, the, the, the Greek ruler, and he invaded lands and forcing people to speak Greek, even when the Romans came, the people were still speaking Greek. And so it was the language of the day. And uh, Aramaean was another one of them, but Greek was mainly the, the language. So when the New Testament was written, it was written in Greek. And so when Jesus called them hypocrites, it was the Greek word of that day that was well understood. It was the word that was used to describe the person who is a play actor. When the Greeks would put on their dramas and their plays, they didn't call them actors, they called them hypocrites. You know, all of the people that were, on, that were on the platform doing their thing were hypocrites. The reason for that is because the word hypocrite had to do with them actually portraying or pretending a part that they really were not. They were, they were acting like they were somebody that they really weren't. And so they fully understood when Jesus said hypocrites, what he was saying is, you guys are, you are spiritual posers. You're pretending to be something spiritually, publicly, but in private, you're something completely different. You are actors. You are spiritual posers. You are, you are not really walking the talk. You are hypocrites. It could be uh, a man at work who um, is going around his job and everybody knows he's a Christian, but he's the laziest guy there and everybody's having to pick up all the pieces and parts that he's not doing and he's claiming this great love of God, but he's, but, uh, he's given a real bad testimony of, of Jesus because he's, he's, he's not really living the way that God said we ought to live. He's, he's lazy around the work. It, it could be uh, a, a teenager at school who, who's maybe um, a, a leader in the youth group at church, but at school is just absolutely messing around in all kinds of ways that, that uh, are not really God-honoring or people-loving. Uh, maybe the, the individual is a bully of other kids at school. It's, it's Mr. Churchgoer who goes around the church and, and uh, makes sure that everybody knows he's, he's very, very spiritual and he knows exactly what ought to be and when it ought to be and how it ought to be. But at home, he's verbally and possibly even physically abusing his family. It's Mrs. Churchgoer, who is the nicest woman in the world, makes everybody at church feel really good, and, and frequently uses terms like, God told me this, and God showed me that, and always letting everybody know what God said to me here, and God said to me there. And yet, what they're also doing is telling everybody else, everybody else's business behind their back, gossiping, and tearing people apart because of their knowing stuff. You know, it's hypocrisy when that happens. 
I'm pretty sure I just heard a pin drop somewhere. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was just joking. No, I probably did not. The question is really, how do we deal with them? Because we all get frustrated with that. And frankly, all of us at some point have some of that come out in our, in our lives. Certainly does in mine. I'm certain that it would be in yours as well. It happens to us. But sometimes it gets frustrating when we're dealing with it and you see someone over and over and over again publicly portraying themselves one way, so spiritual, so Christian, but privately you know that there's a whole other thing going on behind the scenes. How do, how do we deal with that? Well, observation number one, confront it. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 and 24. Confront it. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You know, there's a picture, huh? You know, <laughs> straining out a gnat. Look out, don't let that little gnat in there while you're chunking down a huge old camel. You know, he says it's hypocrite. It's hypocr hypocrisy. What, what Jesus is doing is he's confronting this. Here's what he's saying. He's saying he said, you, you religious leaders, you're making sure that you pay your tithe in a way that is noted by everybody. You've chosen a means to pay tithe that everybody sees what you're doing, knows what you're doing, and is highly impressed with the amount of tithe that you give. He says, while you're doing that, you are letting the weightier matters go undone. Now he says, these things, these things you, you should go ahead and do. It's certainly tithing, all that becomes important. But there's something even more important. Now I know it might be surprising to hear a preacher say that, but it is the case because here's what Jesus said. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. And so he confronts it because he says justice and mercy and faith, things that deal with relationships, we're not taking care of business. And so he said, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites because you portray yourself as one who manages all the do's and all the don'ts of the religion, but you're not really taking care of the business of God, which is loving God and loving people. He confronted it right away. He, took, he called him out on it. Here's another thing. Observation number two. He majored on the majors. He majored on the majors. He said, don't neglect the weightier matters, the, the majors. Don't, don't neglect the majors. Christians, unfortunately, and, and because I am one, I can say this, we have a tendency and probably a bit of a reputation of majoring on things that really are not, that, may, that certainly have some importance and value, but they have, they're not near as important as some other things. We get hung up on the craziest of things. I'm going to touch on one this morning. So please forgive me for telling you the truth. <clears throat> one such thing is, is how people uh, deal with uh, versions of the Bible, King James Version. Some people, they, they, they act like if you only, if, if you're really a Christian, the real spiritual people only read the King James Version of the Bible. Now, frankly, I was teethed on the, 
on it on the King James Version of the Bible. I didn't even know there was anything else until after I was in college. I, I, I absolutely read the King James Bible, and some of you still do. And you know what? That's great. It's marvelous. Nothing wrong with the King James Version of the Bible. It's, it's a good version of the Bible. But for people that don't know how to read 1611 language, and they read something that actually is more like 18th century language or 19th century language or 21st century language so that they can actually understand, we shouldn't hard time them for that. Because what's really important? That we get the King James Version down or that they get the transforming Word of God into their soul and spirit? See, that's really the critical thing. We get to majoring on the minors, things that really don't really matter so much. You know, it's do you have the, tr the truths of the Word of God? And so, for me, uh, I like the New King James uh, Version of the Bible myself. That's my, my uh, version of choice. I oftentimes preach from the New Living Translation because it's more easily understood by folks that are maybe just kind of getting a basic understanding of the Bible. And even so, an occasional, I'll even read the NIV version of the Bible. Now, I call that the National Enquirer version of the Bible, the NIV version of the Bible. But you can even get something occasionally out of the, the National Enquirer version of the Bible. You know, what's more important is, is that we realize, you know what, the Holy Spirit of God is the Spirit of Truth. The, the fact that it's not the King James Version or it's one of these others, in no way at all, it's not like the Holy Spirit is saying, oh, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, how am I, I, they're not, that, that word actually in its real empowerment means this, and I, so I'm stuck, I can't help them. I promise you, the Holy Spirit of truth has a way of bridging all of our language issues. He can do that because He wants the transforming work of God to happen in you. We spend too much time majoring on the minors. Now, let's say this. If you go to Russia, those people are in serious trouble because they don't know 21st century English, let alone 16th century English, what are those people supposed to do? They don't have the King James Version of the Bible. Let's go to China. Serious trouble there because they speak Chinese. They don't know English. How in the world is the King James Version of the Bible going to do anything for them? Or, you know what, most likely, I'll bet what really happened is they have a King James Chinese Version of the Bible. No, they don't. The Bible was translated into language they could understand. And so we get, to, now for all of you, King James Version of the Bible, don't misunderstand me. I value the King James, and if that really helps you to bore down and gain some truths that are really meaningful and help you, then I say go for it. But we shouldn't inflict upon one another things that are really the minor issue. The real issue is love God, love people. How are you doing with your loving of God? How does your loving people really look? How does that play out in your life? Because that's really the issue. Jesus said, look, you guys are all worried about, about how this looks and how you're doing this, and you're, you're missing the real issues. Relational issues, justice, mercy, and faith. 
So we've got to be careful that we, we major on the majors. How does someone, uh, so, so how do we deal with someone who is living a hypocritical life? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So here's the first insight. How do we do it? Confront, as Jesus, we learn from Jesus, but confront with caution. Confront with caution. Paul said it this way. He said, if, you, if, if anyone is among you is overtaken with a trespass, restore them with gentleness. Talk to them, but be gentle. Confront them, but be gentle about it. If anyone among you has, has begun to drift off in ways that you know spiritually this is not helpful, go help them out. Go confront them. Go restore them, but do it with gentleness. And why did he say do it with gentleness? <clears throat> the reason is, he said, because every single one of us are vulnerable to our own temptations. I'm, I'm pretty clear. I won't even have you raise your hand. In, lest, in, lest someone raise their hand and a lightning bolt hits within the midst of this building. The question would be, is there anybody here that is without sin, who is perfect, who isn't still yet struggling in some fashion with something in their life? Maybe you just woke up one day and you had a bad attitude, and you're just munching everybody that was coming into your path. Maybe, you know, maybe it was uh, you found a way just to, to doctor your taxes just a little bit. And, but you know what? It's okay because the government's been doctoring ours for a long time. So we justify it. You know, whatever it is, you find a way, you find a way to kind of do some things on any given day. We're all vulnerable to it. And so, so what Paul's telling us is saying, look, when you, you know that you've got a brother or sister in the Lord, because we're all family in Jesus, and, and you know somebody, a follower of Jesus, who's begun to drift in certain ways, they, they're, they're telling everybody else how to live, but there's some stuff going on in their own life, and the gap's getting pretty wide, and it's starting to be difficult and, and you need to go help them with this. You need to go confront that in Do it with gentleness. Because guess what? You're not perfect either. And, and when you start uh, feeling so empowered that you can straighten everybody else out, you actually are climbing up the ladder a little higher, which is really a wonderful place to be, except the higher you on the ladder, the bigger target you are. The higher you get up, it says, oh, I can see him now. I couldn't see him, but now I got a good beat on him, you know? So, so the more you want to tell everybody else how they're gone wrong, you're just really beginning to put a target on yourself. So he says, do it with gentleness. Be careful how you do that because you don't want everybody targeting you. You don't, you don't need that. You're vulnerable as well. So you got to do that with gentleness, lest somehow you begin to get targeted. I don't know if you've ever felt this, but, but I have felt it. I've felt it in me, and, it, and, it, and, and as I, I look back, it, I don't really like the way it feels, but in the moment, it's like getting a shot of adrenaline. You just you feel powerful. 
And it is in this, when you finally are going to go straighten someone out that you know has been goofing up and it's time to, time to straighten it up. And, and when you, and you, and you go and you're going to go straighten that up, there's something that just rises up in you and it's like a shot of adrenaline and you just start feeling really powerful. And you, but the problem with that is, if we're not careful, we fail to see our own vulnerabilities. And we'll end up tripping over ourselves. And then we look foolish and we sound foolish and we don't really actually get done what we want. We create major problems because when you with confidence go and, and you start really making it, you know, you're going to straighten that individual out, what you discover is they didn't receive anything from you. They don't want to listen to you. And now they become defensive. We all know it. I mean, it, it, you know, how many here have ever been married? Yeah, okay. How does it work when you go in and, and you tell your spouse, what's up? And you get in their face. I know how it works in my home. It, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And even if I really think I'm really right, even within a day or two, my wife is saying to me, you know what? Um, I'm thinking you owe me an apology. Because the only way I'm going to get tacos is if I give the apology. It didn't work. I'm going to really make this right. It, it didn't work. So we always have to be careful with this. Yes, when there's something wrong, confront, but do it with gentleness. I heard a very wise preacher one time say, do you want to be right or do you want to be reconciled? Well, according to Jesus, love God, love people. Love God, love people. I can be so right that I've created a great divide between me and people. There's a time and a place in which some things you've got to hold to that are absolutely right, you've got to hold to it. But we oftentimes major on the minors and we want to be right on things that are really not going to matter too much and we're willing to risk relationship to be right. Do you want to be right or do you want to be reconciled? Yes, it's important to confront, but do it with gentleness. Confront with caution. See, people are not impressed with what you know. They're impressed, they're attracted to uh, what you do with what you know. People are not impressed with what you know. They're impressed with who you are. So don't fall into that trap. When you've got to go to somebody who's being a hypocrite, be careful. Yes, you may have to confront them, help them get back in line, but do it with gentleness because all of us have hypocrisy capability within us. Insight number two. Confront with the goal of restoration. Really, what is the motivation of our confronting anybody or anything? Yeah, you, the, that should be, shouldn't it? should be the, soul, the, the, the goal to save them, to, to rescue them, to help them, to restore them. Uh, too often, our motivation is condemnation. You know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to punch this thing through because this is what it's going to happen. And, and you, you get so frustrated with stuff, you, you know, that we end up bull in a china shop. And, and ultimately, the goal isn't restoration. The goal is my, my being comfortable, my being happy, my being pleased. And what did that do to serve the others? Someone else didn't serve them very well at all. 
we have to be sure that our motivation is restoration. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. See, the, the whole goal is to, is to help people, as John said, to save, to, to, to rescue people from a pathway of destruction. The big problem within the, within the world's view of the church is, is that we become these hardheads who really don't really care about the person. We only care about what we view they ought to be doing or not be doing. <clears throat> Which is one of the reasons why I've often said that even though I am 100,000 times opposed to abortion, you will never see me picketing an abortion clinic. Because that poor young lady who's walking up there with a very difficult decision and who knows what pressure has been put upon her and is about to make a horrific decision, you know, rather than us, you know, just just getting real self-righteous about it, we need to find a way to get to that girl's heart and help her be loved and to know she matters so that we can move her and steer her in a way that that baby gets a chance to have life. Love the girl. If somebody would just love the girl, somebody would just love the girl and help her gently to know there's a better path, we might actually even have more success. We might have more success. And yet, abortion is a blight on this nation that really is not good. Right within the context of our congregation, I know that there are numerous who've already experienced that. And, and that's not to condemn. It's our, it's, it's, we need to say the truth, but we need to say to one another, and yet, who's without sin? I can't cast a stone. What I can do is offer a better way. There is a Savior who made it possible for us to have life in that abundantly. We need to make sure that we are keeping in mind that our goal should be to restore. Insight number three. Confront and help carry the load. You know, living a dual life is, is a burdensome thing. Being this out here to everybody and living a private life, that starts catching up with you. Being a bad actor a hypocrite, sooner or later, your private life gets exposed. It gets exposed. So it's, it's a heavy burden to carry. And if somebody comes to you and says, you know what, <clears throat> I noticed that uh, out here you're saying all of this, my good friend at work, you're saying all of this uh, about about getting people to church and about living for God and so on, uh, but over here, your behavior is so bad, nobody at work wants to be a Christian. Nobody wants what you got. Can I, can I help you? I, I want, I want I'm conf- I, I've got to just tell you, that's, that's not going to work. But you know what? I, want, I can help you because you know why? Because I haven't lived it perfectly either. I've had some stuff in my own life in which I've stumbled over. Why don't we do this? How about you and I get together regularly? Let's have some coffee and let's just talk life. And let's talk how we can apply Christian principles. And some days you're going to have to say to me, look, Hebs, get your act together here. Because you're not really portraying what Christianity is all about. And so, you know what? And I want to receive that. Somebody needs to say it to me sometimes. 
Get your stuff together, Hebs. You're, you're not living a good, you're not giving a good example of what life in Jesus is all about. And sometimes you might need that at all. Can we go do that together? See, carry one another's burdens. Why would we do that? Because hypocrisy divides. Are you, I think all of us are pretty aware that most people actually aren't as dumb as we oftentimes think they look. You know what I'm saying? You know, people are not stupid. They can tell the difference between what we're publicly portraying and what we're actually living out here privately. They can tell the difference. And so therefore, we've got to pull all that together that what I am privately is what I am publicly and what I am publicly is what I am privately. That there's, there's some unity to how I live. I'm not a hypocrite. I live for God every day the best I can. And that means that when I do fail it, and when I do fail, rather than trying to still look like I'm really Mr. Righteous, that I can say, you know what? I just got to tell you, I fouled up. I, made a, I goofed it. I, I, I just, my marbles were rolling around a little bit inside here, and I fouled up. I am sorry. You know, sometimes you just got to do that. And you know what else you'll find out about Christians? They're some of the most forgiving people in the world. Very forgiving. We just need to own our stuff. We just need to say, I'm sorry. You know, why is all that important? Because if we're going to help each other love God and love people, then we got to be willing to walk this life together and help each other. When we start drifting, get back to where we ought to be in Jesus. Not, and when I say get back to where we ought to be in Jesus, I'm not talking about all the religious do's and don'ts. I'm talking about loving God and loving people. You can tell the difference. You can tell the difference who, between those who are just being religious and those who truly love people. It's, it's an easy, easy tell. That's what Jesus would have us to do. When I starting out this year, and here we are now, you know, we're in February and this year's going, more than anything in the world, what I want to do is I want people to know Jesus for who he is, not for who I am. I, I totally get John the Baptist when he says, less of me and more of him. I totally get that. So when I'm dealing with people, the bottom line is always, Jesus made it simple. It's not about, well, you have to be in church X amount of days a week. You have to give 10%, and if you don't give 10%, then, then you get a little, little red mark instead of a star in heaven. If you, if you don't this, if you don't this, if, you know, it's not any of that. Or do you know how to embrace people that have been hard to embrace? Can you accept people that maybe are a little difficult to accept? You know, right away, I mean, it's like, it's like homosexuality. You know, some Christians, I think they're just, they just think it's their duty to, to be so against them that they can't love anybody into the kingdom. Could you, could you go to someone who's having issues of, of gayness and lesbianism and hug them and love them right where they're at in hopes of seeing them come to the, to the knowledge of a saving Lord? Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Does it mean that, that, that we just go ahead and sweep all kinds of sin under the... That's not the point. That's not the point. The point is, love God, love people. And if we would do that, 
I think we would fulfill what Jesus wants and we would see more people coming to him to know what a wonderful savior he is because I know he had to love me when I was unlovable. My father had no choice. He had to as well. <laughs> just, like, just like God, my father had a belt and a fist. <laughs> no. <laughs> one time, one time he spanked me and one time he slugged me. I deserve both. <laughs> love God, love people. Would you bow your heads with me? Who do you need to forgive who do you need to show a measure of mercy to? Because I believe that we're living in a time frame that the prophecies of the Word of God are really spinning closer and closer to reality in terms of the Lord's coming. And I don't say that to, to be, you know, churchy. I say it because I believe it. And I want to be sure that I live in such a way that I do as much damage to the kingdom of hell as I can and the best way to do damage to the kingdom of hell is to love people. Love them right to Jesus. Love God. Love him. We come, all of us, with our failures and our weaknesses and our thoughtlessnesses and insensitivities and everything. But we love each other in spite of it because that's what Jesus called us to be. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to show a measure of mercy to? Do your best in Jesus to do that. And you might, as we read in James, you might just win someone back who has just strayed away from the God who loves them. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I come to you in that wonderful name because, again, there is no other name given among men that we could be saved by only one and I know Lord I need to be saved I need to be rescued from me numerous times where I suddenly say something that I regret having said but now it's too late the damage is there when I have made a decision or a choice and it's like a slippery slope and suddenly before I can start getting any traction and quit sliding, I have, I have caused all kinds of grief. I, I know there are times in which I need to be rescued from me. But I also know, Lord, that I want to pay attention to what you say and I want to really be a follower of Jesus, a true follower of Jesus, not, not because I wear the right kind of collar around my neck, not because uh, I have the right credentials hanging on my wall, not because of whatever kinds of things we assign to each other that gives some, some sense of, of uh, tangibility to who we are as followers of Jesus, but I just want to be from the inside out someone who knows you and is able to follow your very simple prescription, love you and love others. And sometimes, Lord, I confess to you that it is not always easy to love others. And I also confess to you in all honesty that as much as I hate to admit it, I know there are times that I'm not easy to, be lo to, to love either. Forgive me for those times. Help us to be wise. Help us to deal with the critical stuff that rises in us. 
Help us, Lord, to, to not be overly needy. Help us, Lord Jesus, to, 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 to not live manipulative lives with others. Help us, Lord, to not live a hypocritical life. Help us to be true and honest and pure and caring and open in our relationship with others. That your name would be highly exalted in us. That others might see and know and believe the truths of you and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah for Jesus. Hey, the cafe is open. I really want to encourage you. If you haven't been there, you know, even even if you don't want any bacon, which I can't imagine happening, but in toast and eggs or whatever you want, the coffee and the fellowship is marvelous. Find a table and sit down and just yak with some people. Do life together. God bless you. See you soon. Get someone a good noogie, and we'll see you soon.
Thank you.